0: Our series ongoing is Identity Surrendered. Uh, The the section here from verse 11 up and through where we start today in 18, 11 through 17, is uh, a kind of a political picture of two groups of people coming together. Uh, Those two groups of people being Jews and Gentiles. I won't go into all the background that's there. Uh, Today the illustration or the metaphor is more of a construction-based metaphor that Paul turns to. As Andy mentioned, he uses these types of metaphors throughout uh, his letters to the churches, and so we definitely uh, want to pay attention to that. But as we uh, get going today, I want us to think about why groups of people come together. Why do groups of people come Come together. I have a few examples. Uh, the upper right there, you see. Uh, well, there are sports teams that that come together. They gather. They train. They compete. They strategize. They want to do as well as they can. Uh, the bottom is not a fire. Uh, for those of you who are a little farther away, uh, it's a. Like, it looks like some sort of a crowd. A concert. There's some excitement. Uh, and and isn't it hard to imagine coming together for a concert? I saw that picture and I just went, oh man. I remember some really good concerts that I've been to. Uh, And then in the upper left, hey, I mean, people come together to protest. They get signs and they take to the streets. And and for a time and for a purpose or for a season, groups of people come together with a purpose. I imagine there will be some people around 3 o'clock who feel like they're coming together. This afternoon. All right, I imagine that's going to be a part of life in Northeastern Ohio. We'll see what happens with the football game. And so, all these sorts of things happen. You have these sorts of events or, or, or groups or whatever it happens to be. I want you to get this in mind because what God is teaching us in Ephesians chapter 2 stands apart, it's so different. God has purposes and plans for bringing believers together. Title today, if you missed that, I'm going to go back for to it real quick, A Unified Place for God to Dwell. At the very end of this, we see a dwelling place. And I want you to think about that theme of God dwelling and where is that place? How do I relate to that place where God wants to dwell and build people up? A unified place for God to dwell. Well, it's a place, first of all, That we enter only through Christ in the Holy Spirit having access to God the Father. That's a mouthful for and a couple of blanks there on your outline. I want to uh, explain this. This is not really difficult in the sense of of what is being communicated. Uh, As far as what God is building and where he wants to dwell on this earth right now, there's only one way into that place. Uh, this is very familiar. If we know John's gospel, in John chapter 10, we see there's one door. <laughs> we see there's Jesus, and he is uh, the gatekeeper. And there's, a, there's a gate into the, into the sheepfold, and, and that's who he is. There's one way, there's one place. Uh, we're going to get to that in just a minute. But we don't get into what God is doing. We don't have a relationship with him. We can't have a relationship with God's people without coming in through faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is on the page. You see that. For through Him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Our God is one person. One God in three persons, rather. He is one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We come in to our relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son... Uh, but what is, the, what is the point of that faith? It is that by the Spirit filling us and being a part of, of our individual lives and our gatherings that we are united and we have access. We have access to the Father. For so much of history, uh, if you're a history student, you can study different people groups, you can study different governments, you can study it in our country, you can study it around the globe, and a lot of it is uh, having access, equal access to resources, education, Money, economic opportunity, uh, whatever those things are, the different access. And so in in a way, better way, uh, we think about having access to God. How do we have access to God? What is God building? Where is he going to dwell? He dwells in a place where through Jesus we enter in, through faith in Jesus Christ we enter in, and he wants us to have access to him. The Holy Spirit is the one that unifies believers, grants a beginning, a ceiling, and that ongoing relationship. Here are a couple of scriptures that will really help us. This is uh, a familiar uh, passage. John 14, chapter 6, some very basic truth is found here. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this is out of Jesus' own mouth. This is his teaching. So Paul... A couple of decades after Jesus would have spoken these things is writing to people in Ephesus who believe absolutely that Jesus is who he says he was. And how does Jesus say we have access to the Father? Through him. No other way. Nobody has access to God the Father. Nobody has a relationship with God without putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Earlier in John's Gospel, uh, we see that Jesus taught about the the need for the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. If you're a note taker, write down John chapter 3. It's a great chapter. It's a great section there on Jesus teaching about being born anew by the power of the Holy Spirit. Helps us right along with that verse, the first verse there of our passage for today. Through him, we, have, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, and both is both Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles a reminder being every nation who is not God's chosen people of the Jews. All right, that's, that's the place. That's how it's a place where we enter in through Christ. We're looking today at a place that God is building, a place where God is going to dwell and do amazing work. So the second thing we find out today, we find out that unity among people group exists. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Look at what is described here. You're no longer strangers and aliens. So there isn't a person on this earth you think about the person that you would have, uh, that would be the most different from who you are and how you've grown up or been raised. In Christ, that person, if you both share the same faith, you are fellow citizens in the house of God. <laughs> I love it. It's so exciting. It's not what we hear on the news, fear and dread of all the different backgrounds and perspectives and people. No. In, in the church, in God's economy... He wants us to be fellow citizens. He wants us to come together. Unity exists. Let me get you thinking just a little bit. I want to get maybe a couple of show of hands here. Um, has anybody in here ever currently employed or ha- can remember a season of your life where you worked with a team of people that was absolutely fantastic? Oh, wow. number you have. N- none of the staff here at Goss are raising their hands. Right. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, yeah, that's great that you've had that experience. Okay, um, how about some of you, maybe you've had the fortune of being on a really good sports team and you won something. Anybody win something maybe on the level with a city or a conference championship? Anybody on a sports team that did that? Okay, a couple of you have been a part of a a team that did that. And what about some of you, maybe you can, uh, or maybe you're currently experiencing this or uh, in the past you have. Uh, a season of life with a really close-knit group of people. Uh, some friends, a lot in common, really value those relationships. Okay, handful of you uh, can say uh, that that's the case. And those are great, right? Those add a lot of value. Those add a lot of meaning to our lives. But what this says here in verse 19 shows us something that is infinitely better. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens. I'm going to risk being repetitive. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and, say this part with me, members of the household of God. Wow. In the place that God wants to dwell, in the place where he is going to work, people enter in through faith in Jesus Christ, have access to God the Father, unified by the Spirit. And it's a place where unity among people, groups, exists. And it's not just for a season. It's not just for a special occasion. It's not just for some good memories. It's that we are in God's family. We are in his household so we, if we are believers, a part of our local church, we ought to be able to go to any other true Christian church, gospel, teaching, Bible, preaching church, and to say we are a part of the same family. Might worship differently, might look differently, might come from different backgrounds, might speak a different language, whatever it happens to be, but we have that family sense. We join in the household of God. Now, in human households, the authority a lot of times is... Not always clear. Unfortunately, some of us have grown up in households that were more chaotic than organized. That more uh, were upside down in their uh, leadership structures. Maybe the kids were were running the house. I I don't know. But we know when a, a household is ordered and structured that there's a clear picture of authority and who's making decisions and who's in charge. Well, we get that through what Paul is exposing to the Ephesians... Uh, In this, not only this chapter, but in what we've studied in in chapter 1. We see in in chapter 1 that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Where? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. So when we're underneath Jesus, we're in faith in him, we're united with anybody who has the same faith, and it's clear who's in authority. There's unity among us, and our authority is, Is clear. I've shown you this picture before. A number of you have begun to learn how to share the gospel. Uh, We call this three circles. The upper right-hand circle represents confusion and chaos. I was talking to a group of guys this week, and uh, that's where we always start with this. Do you believe the world is perfect? All right, and we were talking with a group of guys about this this week, and they laughed at us. Right? Do, you, do you believe the world is perfect and they just thought it was hilarious? No, of course not. Of course we don't think the world is perfect. The world is broken. All right? And the only way, ultimately, I'm not going to walk through the whole thing, but the only way to, to understand how to navigate the brokenness of our world, the only way to fix it and to begin to repair it and heal from it, its consequences in our own lives, is to repent. You see the guy on the ground there at the bottom? He's kneeling. He's, he's underneath somebody's authority. This is not a position of strength before someone. This is a position of authority, and you see that crown on the, on the lower circle. It, it, it's designed to show how uh, Jesus is our authority in our life. He's, he's saved us by dying on a cross, uh, suffering in our place, coming down from heaven, dying in our place, being buried in a tomb and on the third day, rising from the dead by the power of God. It's authority. And when we're together, it's not just a family meal and a family get-together. Our authority structure is clear. It's who God is. He wants to have that authority over us. All right. So joyfully learning how to share this message... Uh, gives people a vision for their lives that, hey, you don't have to be lost. You don't have to be uh, out there on the sea of confusion. You can be a part of a family united with people that maybe you never thought you'd be united with in your life and under the clear authority of God through Jesus Christ, his son. It is a unified place where God wants to dwell and he wants us to be under his authority. Third, it is built on Jesus and the witness of the apostles and the prophets. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. If you need something built at your house, you'll build a shed, you'll build an addition, or you have bought some land, you're going to build a house I am not the guy you want to hire. Right? I, whenever I'm at a work site or a work project, I call myself general labor. I can add, I can cut boards, I can carry things, I can pick up the debris, I can hold it while you uh, uh, screw it in, and you can do it better than I can because when I do it, it's going to be crooked. Right? Like all those things are going to happen. And, and this is absolutely a building metaphor, a building idea, and I want you to understand this. All right, I've done a little bit of research to try to understand the way this is. In modern times, when we hear the word cornerstone, it's more of a decorative thing. It's more of a, hey, there's information about when this was laid, who this, uh, who this is, i uh, got a couple people nodding, so maybe I'm on the right track here. Uh, uh, maybe who the builder was. It's kind of a ceremonial uh, type of thing. There's always, uh, over here in the 10th Street lobby, there's that middle thing that has kind of the years of uh, Gospel Memorial Church. It's kind of like that. It's sort of, sort of like a plaque, and that's what a cornerstone is. Paul's illustration from ancient times as a cornerstone is completely different. They didn't have all the modern building materials that we have now. When they were building something, they needed a perfect stone to lay that would be at the corner of the two most important walls. And it was a stone that would not just measure uh, horizontally for the building, that all other uh, walls and whatever would come off of it. It would also be used to measure vertically. So when it was put in place, it was designed to be the perfect stone on which everything is built. The other thing I found out about building this week is that in a a building, it's designed to to kind of sit. Like the the gravity is the building's best friend. All right, you could put a, a million screws and fasteners and all sorts of things in a building to hold the walls together and all this sort of thing, but if it's not sitting down right, the building is, the structure will eventually be compromised. So what we have to have in our minds is Jesus, a perfect, cornerstone if they laid a cornerstone in ancient times that wasn't perfect it would possibly degrade over time and compromise the structure uh, itself so Jesus think about the image that Paul is giving us Jesus is the cornerstone hey we have a hymn in our book called the church's one foundation Jesus Christ our Lord that's the image of uh, of this, this word that Paul uses, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And who's building on that? Well, the apostles and the prophets. These are uh, the, the, the 12 disciples as they began to obey. There were New Testament prophets uh, who, who spoke. And we're challenging to the people. And uh, so much like you and I, a couple of thousand years later, if we are believers and we are sharing the gospel, we're doing the work, we're teaching the word, we're building people up, we're trying to obey together, we're doing all that stuff, it's not because of who we are. The church is not the church because of the apostle Peter and his message at Pentecost. The church is not the church because of a superstar pastor. The church is not the church because of where it meets, who's involved, who's involved, or how many programs, or how many dollars in the budget. The church is a church because of Jesus Christ. He's the one on the foundation. He's the one who's the cornerstone. Not a political leader, not a line of thinking, not a government. None of those things are the foundation of the Christian church. Jesus is the foundation. And we are building on that witness of the apostles and the prophets. Any person, anywhere can join this building and become a member of the household of God. Even Peter used this illustration, not just Paul. So here's, here's Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the idea. Jesus is our cornerstone, and we are living stones being built on top of that foundation. Where God is dwelling, where God is working, is a place we enter only through Christ so we can have access to the Father, and we're unified by the Spirit. It's a place where unity exists among people groups and we're under the authority of God in his household. It's a place built on Jesus, our cornerstone, built on Jesus and the witness of the apostles and prophets. Finally, today, it's a place where people Are built together. I want to read 21 and 22 again. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Sounds Amazing to think that God would dwell on earth. When I thought about that concept, it made me think of King Solomon when he was dedicating the temple. Uh, here this is you don't have to read the whole thing but he's, um, he's got this prayer he's dedicating the temple that has uh, been built and I'm so glad this prayer is recorded in scripture because he kind of wonders the same thing they have this amazing temple you can go back and read about how uh, splendid the whole thing was but here's his question will God indeed dwell on earth they had built this temple so there would be a place where people could go to interact with God because he dwelled on earth and that's his question will God really dwell on earth we might think the same thing Will God really dwell in the church? Will God really dwell among believers? Will he really build us up? Will he really do this sort of thing? And so you start, if you're scanning some of that, you're seeing Solomon beginning to plea. Oh, Lord, my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you've said my name shall be there. His name would be there. He would dwell there. So, so did it happen? Did he pray and did it happen? Well, look here. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. God dwelled where he said he was going to dwell. I'm so glad that we in the New Testament as believers in Jesus Christ don't have to travel to a place to visit where God dwells. It is and it was his plan to dwell in his people. Don't mistake the language in verse 22. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Where is God dwelling in the New Testament? He is dwelling in our heart, He's dwelling in our lives. He's dwelling in our gatherings. He's dwelling as we interact with each other. He's dwelling as we individually interact with him. I don't know about you, friends, but I have needed to hear this. There are believers, people who are naming Jesus Christ, who are making it very difficult right now to figure out what the foundation is. I am concerned for our nation as much as the next person. I don't want our nation to crumble. I don't want the foundation to erode, but friends, even if it did, we would have another foundation. A better one, a deeper one, that is designed to unify in a way that a government never can. All right, please take that statement both ways. All right, I don't wish that to happen. But if indeed that's what we're watching and it does happen, let's not act like we don't have a deeper foundation. Let's act like we have a foundation and we're building our lives on Jesus. I also want to challenge for just a moment. It's early in the calendar year and none of us really knows what's going to happen. But I want to begin to project a little bit in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together. There is a picture of togetherness in the body of Christ. Before I say this, I'm going to go on record to be clear. I am not criticizing anyone who is choosing to watch our services from home at this point. I'm not in disagreement with anyone's decision to do that. But I want to plant a seed to say there will come a time at some point where if we've been disconnected, we're going to have to decide, are we going to go back? We're going to have to decide that. We're going to get into a point where maybe churches, I'm not saying our church, but maybe churches aren't as full as they once were because some people were so disconnected from this picture of being built up in a living building that they realize, hey, I don't really want to be a part of that anyway. I don't want that to happen to anybody. And so I want to plant a seed to begin to think and begin to pray and to say, Lord, I know I desire that connection. For some of you, that will be a vaccine. For some of you, that will be certain um, factors with the virus and what's going on. We value where you are. We value your health right now. But at some point, as the weeks and months go on, we're going to be confronted with what it means to be a part of a fellowship, a living group of people. I also want to give an encouragement for those of you that have been attending and even for those of you that haven't. Just because we're not attending in the same room doesn't mean we can't be in contact. It takes very little time in the average week to pick up the phone and call somebody who is not here and say, I remember you and I love you. So that's the encouragement to those who have been attending. We can, we can be unified. And if you haven't and you miss somebody and you're watching from home and it's been a long time, then get on the phone and, and call somebody up and say, I miss you and I love you. How can I pray for you? Or, hey, I found this word in, in this chapter. I just want to encourage you with this. Whatever it happens to be, I want to give you just some ideas of, of what that is and what it's, what it's going to look like. We have to plant that seed, have to begin to, to think through that challenge that will come at some point, even though it may not be right before us right this moment. We're in the passage. I think a couple comments there uh, will, will be helpful. A unified place where God dwells. Not just our local church. We are united with all true believers.